Hello, my beautiful beans. Happy Monday and welcome to the episode of today. So today's episode is all about how to forgive yourself, especially when others won't forgive you, and also how to forgive yourself for stuff you've done to yourself. Okay, so this is all about your mending that relationship with yourself. And often when you do something that hurts somebody else and they don't forgive you, you then become really, really hard on yourself. And you find it, a lot of people find it very hard to move on from that. It's almost like they're holding on and they need that forgiveness from that other person in order to be able to move on and push past. So I'm going to speak to that specific scenario as well. You fucked up, you've done something, that person doesn't forgive you. Or maybe someone misinterpreted something you did and they cannot forgive you for something that you, there was no ill intent, but they won't forgive you. How to have that experience, how to move through it. So then you can truly be like, I'm at peace with that. And I can truly stand here and say, I forgive myself and I'm okay with that. And there's steps in in between that. It's not just saying, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. It's actually the opposite of that. Okay. And I'm going to be talking through what those steps are. So you can be way more at peace, way more at ease. Because if you're always eating away at yourself, thinking, you know, just beating down on yourself, thinking that person doesn't forgive me. So I cannot move past this. I can't forgive myself. You're always going to have that in the back of your mind. And then when you approach different situations with different people, you're kind of going to be plagued with this, you know, this kind of elephant in the room that you can never truly move on from. Okay. And that can be really detrimental to your relationships, but mainly to your relationship with yourself, because then it's kind of, you you start kind of, you know, um, you start, it's this self-criticism. You get really critical on yourself. You think you're not worthy. You think that, you know, you're not good enough. You think that you're just an absolute fuck up or a failure. And so we don't want to be feeling that. So that is what I'm going to be talking about today. I do have a brain fact. The brain fact is all about vertigo. And of course, at the end of the episode, we have a listener question. Okay. I'm loving the listener questions. Absolutely loving these listener questions. So please keep them coming. Um, just a reminder, if you do want to send through a listener question, it is to info at dyfmpod.com. Uh, let's get straight into it. The brain fact of today, vertigo. So firstly, what is vertigo and what causes vertigo? Okay, I'm going to be covering, there's a few causes that for vertigo. So in this brain fact, I'm going to be covering the vestibular-based vertigo as there's a couple of them. And if I cover every kind of vertigo, that's kind of an episode in and of itself. So let's just stick to vestibular-based vertigos and there's a few of them because there's also vertigos that stem from like the central nervous system as in the brain, cerebellum, spinal cord vibes. All right. So what is it? Vertigo is often described as this sensation of movement when there is none, okay? Or the feeling that the world is spinning or moving around you when in fact it's not. So sometimes it's or often it's coupled with a feeling of nausea, in some cases even vomiting um, or just feeling generally unwell, like you just feel off or a bit sick, um, which makes kind of sense if you've ever been, it's kind of that feeling of if you've ever been on those like Vomitron or those like, you know, those gravity things that spin around so fast and you get stuck to the walls. And when you come out of that, you feel a bit like, oh, I need, like I'm going to vomit. I can't stabilize. Some people are fine. Other people not fine at all. I remember when I was a kid, I used to be able to go on those all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And then as I got older, I went on it once. And for a good hour, I was not fucking okay. I vomited twice. I needed like all this, because for me, sugar suppresses nausea personally. I don't know why. Maybe that's something I could research and fucking do a fact about that. But I would have to like pump all those like pixie sticks filled with sherbet because obviously it'd be at a theme park. And then that would kind of like kill that nauseous feeling. But now that I have a better understanding of what vertigo is, it makes sense why I'd feel so ill after being on this vomitron thing because it actually kind of for certain people can fuck around with your vestibular system temporarily and then cause these symptoms. Now, What it is, is that it's caused by a misalignment of the sensory input that takes care of your posture. So your vision, your inner ear, the vestibular system, and also the senses that take care of your proprioception. So proprioception is your awareness of where your body is at any given time. So if you were to close your eyes, you would still know 
where your hand is in relation to your nose, you could close your eyes and get your fingertip to your nose or relatively close to your nose. Um, even with your eyes closed, there's, you know, you know where your body is in space, even without having your eyes open. That's proprioception. And that word comes from proprio is like one's own and perception, perception. So perception of yourself. So that is vertigo. When those things are misaligned, your proprioception and all the sensory inputs, they just don't add up. Now, what I am talking about today is the vestibular system. So let's kind of talk about the vestibular system first and then talk about how vertigo can be caused with vestibular system related vertigo. So the vestibular system is made up of the inner ear and these it's called the semicircular canals, okay? So the semicircular canals, they exist in both your ears and the inner ear, well, inside your ear, and it's three loops and these loops are in different positions within the inner ear and these loops are filled with fluid called endolymph, okay? That's the fluid that fills these loops. Now, each of these canals, these loops, detect a different kind of movement. So one detects side-to-side movement, so as if you're, you're shaking your head no. One detects up and down movement as if you're shaking your head yes. And one is more like a rolling movement of like a dipping and then coming back up kind of feeling. And when you move in these directions, and those three canals detect in each one, when you move in these directions, the fluid in those canals move. And this movement is detected by these tiny hairs called stereocilia which are located at the end of these canals. So the input travels down. So these little hairs, you know, detect the movement from that fluid and then it sends an input like this, the movement of the hairs activates this input, which then travels down a nerve called the vestibular nerve to the brainstem, an area called the vestibular nucleus, and then to the cerebellum as well, which is that like extra part of, so if you look at a brain, there's a bit, that sits kind of underneath the main part of the brain. It's like an added bit called the cerebellum just behind the brainstem. And then once that gets sent through, then the brain understands that the head is moving in a certain direction and that's kind of the information that then sent to other parts of the brain. So, oh, it's looking down, it's looking up, it's turning, it's rolling, all of the above. So this nucleus then projects that information to other parts of the brain, like parts of the brain that control eye movement, um, in the spinal cord, cerebellum, And these areas will then all help coordinate movement through the body for balance, um, for what you're going to do next, for, you know, you know, just so it's this constant feedback loop of where your head is, what position it is getting sent to these areas and then that getting projected back out to other areas of the brain to respond accordingly with movement, balance, you know, reactions to things, et cetera, et cetera. Now, balance and the vestibular system are very, 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 very heavily linked because of that reason. Um, If the vestibular system is off and it's not sending through the right messages to the brainstem and the parts of the body that's then going to control movement according to where your head position is, then your balance is going to be absolutely skewed and your body's not going to know how to respond to keep your equilibrium because balance is all around these tiny, tiny muscles that are either relaxing or tensing, relaxing or tensing constantly And you've got this constant signal being sent up and down through your spinal cord to help maintain your balance. And that's where reflexes come in, but I'm going to do a whole brain fact on reflexes coming up. So you can imagine if these canals, for whatever reason, are stuffed up, your balance is going to be stuffed up too. And vertigo can be caused by something affecting the vestibular system. I did mention earlier that there are ways, there are things that cause vertigo that aren't directly related to the vestibular system, but that would be caused, it's called, that's a central problem, a vertigo caused by a central problem. And this is vertigo, if it's in the vestibular system, it's a peripheral problem. So when it's peripheral vertigo, it means peripheral to the central nervous system because the central nervous system is brain, spinal cord, brainstem, that stuff. Peripheral is anything outside of the central nervous system. And those are even the nerves that protrude out of the, like the cranial nerves and, and nerves that protrude out of the head. So let's quickly go through the causes. We've got vestibular neuronitis. So that happens when you have an inflamed vestibular nerve and viral infections often occur. And this then inflames that vestibular nerve. Like you can get a viral infection from a million different things, you know, 
in many different scenarios. But when that nerve is inflamed, that vestibular nerve where the little hairs move and send the message down that, that nerve, then when it's inflamed, the message is not being sent properly or seamlessly. It's disrupted. And because it's disrupted, it brings on this acute vertigo. And acute is like quick onset vertigo. And it can last for weeks. So if you're someone that suffered vertigo, you might have only had it once off for a couple of weeks. And that may have been due to an inflamed vestibular nerve or vestibular neuronitis. Another thing that could cause vertigo is something called BPPV, which stands for benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. And that is these crystals. I've spoken about this back in the day of the podcast, but you've got crystals in your head. Like you, you, we've all got rocks in our head technically. There's these tiny crystals in the canals called otoconia. There's all these different like names for it, but one of the names is otoconia. And these little crystals, which help detect the movement alongside their little hairs and all these things, there's these tiny little crystals if these crystals become displaced, so this could be due to an infection, it could be due to head trauma, it can also be idiopathic in the sense that they don't know wh- why they've become displaced, but they are moved, these little crystals are moved from where they should be and that disrupts the flow of that fluid in the canals. So again, the system's not working properly between the areas and the communication's not just getting sent through. So in this scenario, if you have BPP, V, where the crystals are displaced, it is vertigo is specifically felt when there is movement because movement is needed to set off this effect. Okay, if the person is still, then there and there's no movement, the crystals aren't moving, and in this moment, the crystals aren't disrupting anything. So that's one of the ways of differentiating a different kind of vertigo to this particular kind of vertigo. Um, and when you do move, this feeling can last around a minute before going away. And this can go on for weeks and then just resolve on its own. Uh, and in some cases, it can be reoccurring as well. So if you are someone that suffered from vertigo and you find that when you're not moving, it's perfectly fine, this may be the kind of vertigo that you have. Then we've got something called Meniere's disease. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, which is a buildup of fluid in the canals of that endolymph fluid. And because there's too much of that fluid in the canals, it puts on more pressure and it causes more issues than just vertigo. It can also cause tinnitus or tinnitus, hearing loss, um, things that are not necessarily associated with movement. So that, in a nutshell, is vertigo caused by problems or issues within the vestibular system. Like I said, there are other causes of vertigo that happen from within the brain directly or the brain stem, but I was just going to cover that one specifically because otherwise it's a whole episode. Hope you found that interesting. Let's get into the topic of today's episode. Okay, so we're talking about how to forgive yourself when someone else won't. Now, there's a whole bunch of scenarios where this may be the case. There are going to be times where others are not going to forgive you for something that you did. And there's also going to be times where people are not going to be able to forgive you for something that you didn't actually quite do, but you still feel guilty because you feel like you played a role in it. I'm going to give you an example because it sounds really vague. Let's say you're dating someone, you break up and your partner's convinced that you cheated on them and they can't forgive you for it. But you're like, I didn't cheat. But maybe you were flirting heavily with someone who you had wild chemistry with and you know that it was hurting your partner and you're like, I'm not doing anything, whatever. But then in hindsight, you think back and you think, wow, in hindsight, I was really hurting my partner and I acted really inappropriately. And while I didn't cheat, while I didn't do the thing that they're accusing me of doing and that they can't forgive me because they think I did it, I feel so guilty because now I regret losing them and I played a role in them feeling that way, for example. Or you might have a friend that is certain that you started a rumor about them that caused the friendship to break up and you're like, but I didn't start the rumor. However, I feel really guilty because I played a role in maybe spreading the rumor or I talked about it behind their back and so I still have that guilt that I carry with me. And like I said, there could be straight up things that you actually did. Maybe you actually cheated on this person. Maybe you actually started a rumor. Maybe you actually spoke shit about someone that you care about behind their back and they found out and they just cannot forgive you. Maybe you did something really bitchy because you wanted to be, you wanted to impress somebody else without realizing the repercussions of what that would have on another relationship of yours. 
there's all these scenarios. Maybe you stepped all over someone to get somewhere professionally in life and then you look back and you think, oh, my fucking God, that was so fucked that I did that. And, like, where, where is my fucking, like, moral radar, moral compass, whatever you want to call it. So there's, there's a million examples and I'm sure that we can all think of a couple, especially if you're listening to this episode, I would imagine that maybe you've got one in mind where you feel that way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about what you can do, what are the steps you could do when someone doesn't forgive you and they've made it clear that they're not going to forgive you and how you can get from that position when you feel absolutely mortified and horrified and you can't move on from that and you're constantly trying to reach out for them for forgiveness so you can have a clear conscience and move on, okay? The first thing you need to do, number one, so important, is to get your head around the fact that you need to respect someone's decision if they do not want to forgive you. You have to let go of this need to control the outcome. Someone is entitled to not forgive you. How they process an event is up to them, okay? While I'm all about, you know, the more you can forgive, the better for yourself, that's your prerogative. If someone doesn't want to forgive you, they don't feel comfortable forgiving you, they don't view forgiveness the way you view forgiveness, that is up to them. And that is, they deserve to have that. And you have to respect that. Because when you push someone to forgive you, and when you push and push and push so you can clear your conscience, it ends up becoming a selfish endeavor. Because ultimately, if you're pushing too hard for someone to forgive you, you're like, I need to clear my conscience. Why? So I can fucking feel good. So I'm going to keep fucking badgering you for forgiveness. Or like being in your life until you fucking forgive me or trying this and trying that and annoying you because I want to feel good. Sometimes it ends up being a very selfish endeavor. Sometimes the most humbling experience in the world is when someone doesn't forgive you and that is when you learn. If someone was to forgive you all the time for everything you did straight off the bat immediately when you did it, you may not learn. Hopefully you would, but maybe you wouldn't. So sometimes it's a very hard fruitful lesson when someone chooses not to forgive you and your role is to respect it. Okay. Now, having said that, I would always, always try to make it up to that person if possible. So what I mean by that is if you've done something and someone just doesn't forgive you, but you've not once tried to reach out, be vulnerable, be open, apologize, any of that, then you can't expect them to forgive you, obviously. So I would attempt to resolve and repair, obviously. And if someone hates me so much and they're so angry at me and can't move on and forgive me, I would, my favorite way to do it would be through a letter. It's a lot calmer. You give that person privacy when they're processing what you said. Sometimes when you want forgiveness, you want an answer now, you want forgiveness now and then and you put pressure on them and you make them feel uncomfortable. The kindest thing you can do is to do a heartfelt apology and write it in a letter. So when that person reads the apology, they have privacy and a moment to process what you're saying. So if, they, if their initial reaction is angry, if whatever it is, they can have that initial reaction in their own time in a safe space before they decide if they want to forgive you or not. And then they can process it. So you give them the, your, yourself the best opportunity at forgiveness, but you also give them, you know, the space and time to, to do what they need to do and think what they need to think. Okay. So, but once you've reached out, if it's appropriate to do so, or if it's safe to do so, there might be some scenarios where you can't take back what you did and, you know, all you can do is apologize. There might be some scenarios where there is something that you can do to repair what you did. So there's a few. And then there's some scenarios where you actually didn't do that thing and you're, you know, trying to clear your name. And in that scenario, again, I would write it in a letter and I'd just be really open, honest, saying I'm happy to, you know, talk about this. I did not do this. I understand that you may not believe me, but I need to just get something straight and this is what it is. But a lot of the time, if someone's really angry at you, a letter is one of the best things you can do. So once you've done that, once you've respectfully tried to make it up to them, tried to right your wrongs or just apologized if there's no way of righting your wrongs, if it's safe to do so. Once you've done that, I wanna, you've got to ask yourself, have I apologized properly? And an apology, a real apology, in my opinion, needs to have no buts, okay? You can talk about other things later, but a real apology is you obviously apologizing, not asking for forgiveness, you're apologizing. 
If you ask for forgiveness, you're saying, I need you to do me a favour. I fucked up, but I need you to do me this favour and forgive me. No, cunt, you are apologising. It's very different to asking for forgiveness. Very different. And it's annoying when people confuse the two because when someone's really hurt, then you ask them for another favour. It's like, are you well in the head? Let them be hurt. So did you apologise properly? You've got to not ask for forgiveness but apologise. You also have to – one of the best ways of asking for forgiveness is to acknowledge what you've done. If you say, I did bang, 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 X, Y, Z, and I am so sorry – And don't say, I'm sorry that you feel hurt. No, I am sorry for my actions, okay? So many people don't know how to apologize. They say, I'm so sorry that you feel hurt about that. Oh, I didn't mean to offend you. Well, you did. And if you're actually remorseful for what you did, because you might actually offend someone and not be remorseful at all. You might be like, this person just got offended for me just existing. Then that's fine. Then it is what it is. You, you just clash with this person. But if you've actually done something horrible and offended this person, you name what you've done and you apologize and you, and you say that you are remorseful that you hurt them, not that they feel hurt, okay? So once you've done all of that, a proper apology, you've written the letter, you've done all of that, you've not done any buts, babies, you've not excused your behavior, you've just fully owned it, fully apologized. If they still do not forgive you, then the work is now internal. You can't make them forgive you. You have to respect their decision not to forgive you. You have to exit out of this person's life. You know, you've got to give them the space that they deserve, that everyone deserves. Whether you like that person or not, you've got to give them the space. So once you've done all of these like key steps before someone can decide if they're going to forgive you or not, and then they still don't forgive you, what can you do? Because now it's just you in your own head, right? They've exited your life. They're refusing to forgive you. You've tried to reach out. You've done everything you can. Now. You have to find a way to be at peace with it and forgive yourself because this is the point where you're like, I can't move on because I don't have forgiveness and I can't, I can't get past this and I'm mortified and I'm horrified and I'm embarrassed and ashamed and all these things. You have to look at this as your opportunity to be better, to be a better person. If you spread a rumor that really hurt someone, how can you be someone that never takes play- part in that kind of thing ever again? If you've lost a friendship from that, how can you learn from this? If you hurt your partner so much through dishonesty and they just, you know, have left your life and can't move on, how can you really learn from that and become a better person? Sometimes these are the moments when people don't forgive you. These are the moments where you have an opportunity to show up as a better version of yourself, to be like, that fucking hurt and I hated that and I never want to go through that again. I never want to be that person again. I never want... That again. So instead of sitting here and beating down on myself, thinking, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you lost this person in your life, you could, you could turn it around and think, wow, that was a fucking wake up call. And I'm going to use this moment and this pain as fuel to make myself a better person. So I can truly look back and say, I learned. And because of that, I became a better person. That is how you forgive yourself when other people can't because you use your own actions as your own teacher and you think, I'm, go- I'm committing and making a promise that because of what happened, I refuse to ever do that again because of what I felt that day or right now. It's going to get to a point where you have to be the one that forgives yourself so you can move forward. You can't wait for somebody to forgive you because You don't ever want to be in a position where someone owes you forgiveness. Nobody, nobody owes you forgiveness except for you forgiving yourself. You are the only one that owes yourself forgiveness. You never want to be in a place where someone owes you something. That is a place of emptiness. It's a place of resentment. And you don't want to resent the person who you're trying to be apologetic to. And if they don't forgive you, you don't want to be like, well, they never fucking forgave me. They're sour. They're bitter. They're this, they're that. You know, that's just you shaming the person that you hurt, right? Like you get nothing out of that. And then you get bitter to the person that you end up hurting just because they didn't forgive you. So you've got to find a way to be like, I I truly respect that this person has chosen not to forgive me. But now it is my job to forgive myself. And I'm taking this lesson and I'm going to learn from it. So what can you do? Number one, you have to know that it is okay to forgive yourself when someone else has not. We all go through different experiences in our lives and we all interpret these experiences completely differently. 
you're an ever-evolving being and you have to understand that you're going to mature and evolve and mature and evolve. And part of that evolution comes from moving on and, and learning and then doing better next time and then moving on, learning, doing better. That's why you mature because you learn from your mistakes. You learn from your actions. You learn from your experiences and your relationships. So you have to be at peace with this idea. You have to be okay with the idea that you can forgive yourself even if someone has not. It is okay. But you have to think, how can I make peace with this? Because it's causing me so much turmoil in my mind. How can I become at peace with this? And this is something that's really difficult when it comes to relationships. A lot of people will stay in a relationship longer than they even want to be because somebody has accused them of something or believed something about them and you'll stay in this relationship because you don't want it to end on these terms, because you don't want it to end with someone thinking, you know, poorly of you and then you think, how will I move on if this person thinks this of me and then they spread it and this and that. And it's this idea of like you have to at one point, at one point you have to cut your losses and learn to move on and it is your job to do that and you're the only one that can do that for yourself. So if your ex is going to think these horrible things of you, whether you did or didn't do them, at some point you've got to be able to move on, okay? You have to decide that this is going to be a lesson in pride. How humble can you be? How much can you learn about your actions? How much can you hold the mirror up to your face and be like, this is what I did wrong, this, 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 and this. This is what I really didn't like. You know, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do is to look at yourself and not, not say you're an idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm this and that. No, to name the actions that you did that you don't agree with or that you don't ever want to do again. Because there's a difference between pulling apart your own behavior and being really critical and being like, that was fucking wrong. And I admit that I'm wrong versus negative self-talk where you're just character assassinating yourself with no actual, you know, proper outcome that can come of that. And apologizing when there's no forgiveness is still a very good act and it actually does a lot for your soul. Because when you apologize to someone who doesn't forgive you, it's truly because you wanted to apologize, because you're not trying to get something out of it. It's like whether this person forgives me or not, I need to put this out there, whether they forgive me or not, whether they're going to stay in my life or not, whether they're going to talk shit about me or not. I need to do this because it's the first step of the healing process. You know, it's almost better to apologize without expecting anything in return because that's a true apology. If you apologize and you're like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for you to forgive me, then that's a loaded apology. And you should never do a loaded apology. It should always be an apology should be like an offering and they can take it or leave it, okay? That's what it should be, and you should expect nothing in return. When you do that and you're genuine about it, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn about where you're uncomfortable, why it's hurting you so much, what your fears are, what your vulnerabilities are, and that's where you can start to rebuild. Now, the next thing is that this would all be in vain if you can't sit down and say, what would I, what would I have done if I had my time again or if this situation were to happen again is probably a better question what would I do differently? How would I carry myself differently in the next situation? Would I be more open? Would I be better with my communication? Would I stop talking shit about people behind their back, people that I love? Would I value relationships over money and certain positions in my, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you feel that you've done? What would you do differently so you never have to feel that way again? Sometimes it's worth feeling really shit so you can look at that and say, I never want to feel that again and I know the steps to take to never feel that way again. But you have to do the painful work of sitting the fuck down and identifying those behaviours. If you avoid, avoid, avoid and then be resentful that someone didn't forgive you, then you're in this victim, 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 powerless state. If You, you can take the power back and say, I was fucking wrong. I was wrong, I was inappropriate, and now I can learn from it. And now I can do so much better. And now I can be a much better person. I would rather admit that I fucked up, but I'm a better person than sit here in denial because I don't want to admit that I fucked up, but then not evolve, not grow, and then commit the same errors again in in my relationships and then have more people not want to forgive me. So the crucial thing here is own your shit. There's nothing more impressive than someone who can own their behavior without an excuse that follows. There's nothing more impressive. 
because it shows that you have self-awareness. And when someone doesn't forgive you, it is the biggest opportunity for self-awareness. They are almost unintentionally doing you a favor because it forces you to do the forgiving. It forces you to do the work. It forces you to have the self-awareness to realize what you did, why you fucked up, how you fucked up, and how you would behave differently moving forward. If you don't forgive yourself, you are doing yourself a disservice because if you don't forgive yourself, you will stay in this cycle of self-pity, of talking down to yourself, and possibly even resenting yourself and the person that didn't forgive you. And if you forgive yourself, you're saying, this is what I've learned and this is how I have evolved and this is how I'm going to do better. If you drag yourself down forever, then you can never truly apply what you learned and that would be a fucking shame. It would, it's also like you having done something when you – you know, because you, you've got to look at your life like this. Every couple of years, you've grown so much, you've learned so much, you've experienced so much. You're just an updated version of yourself every time. If you don't take these opportunities as a learning opportunity, but instead you decide to beat yourself down about it, you regress. You don't go forward, you regress. You don't take the learning, you don't grow and move and be, like and move on from that. And you kind of start to like to close in, close in, close in. You shut other people out. You start being like really self-critical. And the, the flip side of that is you take that opportunity, you learn, you move on. You take it, you learn, you move on. It's like you not forgiving yourself for something. Like let's say you're in your 30s or your 20s and you're not forgiving yourself for something you did as a child. You didn't know better. In a lot of situations, you have to acknowledge that you just didn't know better. And it's not to say that you didn't know that what you, do, what you were doing was wrong. You possibly may have done something that at the time you knew was wrong, but you probably weren't aware of the, how bad the repercussions would be. And it's not saying that you, you're not to blame. You probably are to blame. But it's to say, I made that decision thinking that it was acceptable based on what I knew at the time. Now, in hindsight, I can really see that that is ridiculous. And if I was to do that again, knowing what I know now, I would be a fool so it is my responsibility to learn from that and not fucking do it again. And now because of that, I am grateful that I'm a better person. I'm a stronger person. I'm a lot wiser. I'm a lot smarter because I learned from that. But imagine if you, you look back at something you did as a child and you're like, oh, my God, no, never, no, can't move on from that. Absolutely not. No, I'm, I'm fucked. I'm fucked for life. I'll be 80 and I won't move on. That's ridiculous. When you learn from your mistakes, you can hold your head up high knowing that you went through the process and you did what you needed to do. If you really hurt a partner and they just didn't forgive you, you've broken up, you've done all the work on yourself, you've grown, you struggled to forgive yourself, but then you finally forgave yourself, you can hold your head up high. And if you were to ever meet them again, they might still be filled with anger and hatred and all of the above. But if you've tried to mend and you weren't able to mend and you've gone and grown and learnt and evolved and become better for it, you can still hold your head up high if you ever were to bump into your partner, even if they're seething at you and you could still, you could still have remorse for what you've done but you have forgiven yourself. It's not to say when you forgive yourself, it's not to say you don't care about what you did. And it's also not to say that, oh, I've moved past it. It doesn't matter. It could still be an important, an important milestone in your life, what happened and how you hurt somebody. And you could still refer back to that time as like, yeah, that was fucking intense. It's not that you're forgetting. It's not that you're brushing it under the rug, but it's saying I have forgiven myself for the actions I did before I was the wiser version of who I am now. I can acknowledge that that was still painful. I can acknowledge that that was a bad time. I can acknowledge that I still feel remorse for what I did. You can forgive yourself and still feel remorse. I'm not saying how to forget what you've done. You probably need to get hypnotized to do that. It's saying you can still see somebody that you've hurt and say, God, I still feel so awful that I did that. I still look back at that time and I really, if I had my time again, knowing what I know now and th knowing the person I am today now, I know that I would have done things differently now. However, I feel really remorseful. And you can still have forgiven yourself. It's not about forgetting. It's about being like, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm letting go of holding on to this horrible feeling and instead I can remember what happened and learn from it.
There's a big difference. And I think a lot of people think that in order to forgive themselves, they have to be able to wipe it out of their memories. And that is not the case. Your life is a combination of beautiful and awful moments. That's and boring moments and mundane moments. That's life. You know, conflict happens. Contrast happens. So you have to be able to be like, that's an ugly part of my life that's reared its head again. Don't love it. But I've processed it. Okay. And if you think that, oh, I've got to brush it under the rug. I can't, I can't, I can't. Then you're avoiding. And then when it crops up, it is, it will be your demons coming to get you. When things crop up, you don't want them to be demons. You want them to be like, yep, I've processed that. Wasn't pretty, but here I am. Okay. And the same goes for forgiving yourself for when you have treated yourself poorly in the past. It's the same thing. It's this concept of I'm not forgetting how I treated myself in the past. If you, if you were just awful to yourself the way you spoke to yourself or the way you treated your body or whatever, you could, you could still be like, I'm not forgetting. I'm acknowledging. I'm remembering. I am, I am respecting that that is a part of my past that exists, you know, but it's not me anymore. It's not a part of who I am anymore. And thanks to that, I have evolved. Thanks to me owning what I used to do, or what I did, I have gotten better. I've become a better person. Okay. Hopefully that helps you reframe how you look at forgiving yourself and being a bit calmer and gentle, gentler and nicer to yourself. All right. That is all for today's episode. We have the listener question. This one's juicy. A lot of my listener questions are around relationship breakdowns or people stuck in relationships and not knowing what to do, which makes sense because relationships make up a big part of our emotional lives. Well, it's pretty much all of our emotional lives, whether it's a relationship with ourselves or with others, almost all of it. So let's get into it. Hi, Alexis. Just wanted to say that your podcast has helped me more than my own therapy sessions have. And I love listening, especially when I need to clear my head. That's fucking awesome. Love that so much. I need advice on how to know if I should break up with my long-term boyfriend or not. And if I do break up with him, how do I go about that? Some backstory. We have dated for over six years and he is the only person that I have ever been with. I'm 22 now and while I still have love for him, I feel I'm no longer in love with him. I hate it because I know he sees a future with me and he says things like, I want to be with you forever. And at one point in time, I felt like that too. But now the feeling is gone and it hasn't been there for a long time. I have moments where I think maybe I could love him forever, but then most of the time I dream of being alone and starting fresh and new. I can't bring myself to break up with him because I'm afraid that he would have no one else or might fall into a depression. His family is also so involved in our lives a lot, which makes me feel as though I'm betraying them too. Additionally, we live together and also share a pet that we both love so much. I don't know how to break up with him and say that I want to take our pet as well. I'm not sure he would agree to share our pet either. Also, a big reason I feel has contributed to the deterioration of our relationship is that our sex life is boring and I find myself not wanting to have sex at all. We fight a lot over the smallest issues and I feel like I resent him for not being more more supportive over my wishes of wanting to start somewhere new and go study abroad or live in New York when I had the chance to years ago. I have regrets about my life but I'm afraid I will regret how I spent my time in a relationship for my whole young life and never had a chance to really get to know myself, to be on my own. I hope this makes some sense. I love the advice that you give. It truly is a gift that you have. Thank you. Okay. Oh, and you finished it off with Danke, which I love so much. Okay. Before I get into the dynamic of your relationship and what I believe you could do, let's address the pet. When you go in halves with someone, when you go in together with someone, whether it be start a business, have a pet, have a child, buy a home, then the outcome of that thing when the relationship, if the relationship dissolves, will not be completely up to you. And you have to come to terms with that as soon as possible. Part of breaking up entails things that don't go your way a lot of the time. So you may may get the outcome, which is your desired outcome, that if you broke up with him, you could keep the pet. But don't hold on to that as that being the only outcome. Because if, if you got this pet together and it is equally his pet as much as it is yours, then you don't have the right to just take the pet without him 
giving it to you, giving without him saying, yep, I give you my blessings, you can take the pet. And vice versa. He doesn't have the right to keep it either. So unless you come to a mutual decision once the breakup has occurred that he's willing to relinquish the pet, then you both have to, whether you like it or not, you have to share the pet. Because you said that um, you're not sure if he would agree to share the pet either. He doesn't really have a choice. He either shares it or he gives it away. He can't just take it. That's theft. And the same goes for you. You can't just take it. That's theft. So that's one thing that you have to be open to sharing with him. Whether he likes it or not, he also has to be open. Just because he's, if you do break up with him, just because he's the hurt one in this situation, it doesn't mean that he can't actually still look at the difficult decisions that have been made and follow through with them. When you get a pet, it's a responsibility. And that responsibility extends for the lifetime of that pet. And that might mean that the dynamic has to change in order to care for this pet. And that just is what it is, okay? So you have to be detached with the outcome. Your options the most likely option is that you share and he may, 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 may give you the pet, okay? But the only fair outcome is that both of you are willing to share the pet, okay? Number one. Number two, you mentioned that he was not supportive of like you doing things on your own and going to New York and starting fresh. It's very normal that he would not be supportive of an idea of you doing something or starting a life without him because that doesn't favor, that doesn't play into what, what he wants to do. It doesn't play into what his dream is for the relationship with you, okay? So it makes sense that whether you like it or not, it makes sense that he's not going to be thrilled about that idea and not going to push you to do it because he doesn't want that outcome. So that's pretty normal. Um, I wouldn't focus too heavily on that because that's normal. But it's also very normal for you to resent someone when you feel that they've held you back. You'll be stuck in a situation in 5, 10, 15 years' time thinking like, you fucking held me back in life and I can't move past this because because of you I never did this, 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 this and this. And in reality, it's because of you that you've never done those things. No one's holding a gun to your head to stay in this relationship. And the hardest thing when you look down the line in 5, 10, 15 years' time, people want to shift the blame onto other people. They want to say it's their partner's fault that they didn't do this, X, Y, Z, whatever. But in most scenarios, you held yourself back. And that's why regret hurts so much because you held yourself back and you could have done something differently. You can't regret something you didn't have a choice in. It's impossible. You only regret the things that you knew you had a choice in and you still went and did the thing that didn't serve you. That's when regret crops up. If someone had a gun to your head and said, you fucking can't leave this relationship, you're fucking stuck in this relationship, or if you lived in a part of the world where you literally could not get a divorce, that's, you can't regret it. You're trapped. You can't regret it. But you're talking about regret because you know you can leave. And deep down, that's what you want. And you want to leave. So you can resent him all you like. But the reason you're resenting him is because he's holding up a mirror to you, showing you what you could be doing, but you're not, and, he's, and you feel guilty to leave him. So then you're putting the blame on him because you feel guilty to leave him because he's got feelings, like every other human in the world, okay? You have to understand that this resentment that you feel towards him is resentment towards yourself and your, and your lack of pulling the pin on this thing. The third thing I want to say is you have to ask yourself at what cost? I ask myself, babe, I ask myself at what cost with a lot of things in my life. When I make a decision, I always think, what is the cost of this decision if I do it? And what is the cost, more importantly, if I don't do it? More, more importantly, it's what is the cost if I don't? Is it regret? Is it always wondering for the rest of my life? Like, what is the cost? Because a lot of the time, people, and p- potentially you right now, choose comfort over risk, which makes a lot of sense because most of us are very risk averse. So we'll choose what we know, the whole, the devil, you know, we'll choose what we know, even though we don't love it. And even though our mind always wonders about all the possibilities that could be happening in our life, in our future, what we have available to us, but we'll choose comfort because we're like, I know what this looks like. And this person is a good enough person. And I could be potentially satisfied in my life with this person, maybe, despite the fact that I'm 22 and already not satisfied, but whatever, could be satisfied. I'll pick that 
over the chance at the life of my dreams. But the risk here is that if I, if I go for the life of my dreams, it might not work the way I thought it would work and then maybe I'll regret and then maybe, 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 and then you think, oh, too big a risk, too much, too much, so I'll just stay in the safe zone. Then you stay in the safe zone and then time passes and you're like, oh, my fucking God, get me the fuck out of here. So then you start dreaming about this life of your dreams and you think and, – and why it's so tempting is because it's not that far out of the realm of possibility. It's not like you're like, I want to be this fucking impossible thing that I know I can't be. So it's like, it's not a daydream. It's a real dream. And you think, fuck, I'm really bored. I'm not happy. We're, you know, I'm just not fucking happy. So you start thinking of this thing that's within your grasp. You know you're capable of living that life. So that's why you're so torn because it's a legitimate, genuine option for you. Okay? So you have to ask yourself, at what cost am I willing to not do something? Especially when you're young and you don't have like major responsibilities like children, etc. The cost here for you, if you don't leave, may be that you never get to live the life you want to live and that you just settle for someone nice who you're not in love with. And the cost of Taking the risk and leaving is that you've left your comfort zone. You're going to go through potentially a few hard patches in this new life, hard but fruitful, might I add, patches in your life. And you may regret leaving him, although I find that unlikely given that you don't seem to be in love with this person. But that's a possibility. You might regret it. So there's a cost on either end. If there wasn't a cost, you would have taken one option by now. So you're not an idiot. There's obviously a cost on either end. But which cost is greater? That is a really good way of figuring out what you want. And for me, a lot of the time, the cost of not doing something is too great versus the cost of taking that risk and seeing what the repercussions are. So often, I'll go ahead and take that risk and do that thing because I think the cost of not doing it is just too great. And if something's pushing me and pulling me to something so heavily, there's got to be something in it, right? There's got to be something that I learn and gain and experience and the new life is, you know, could be there if that's what I keep thinking about and going back to and wanting. A relationship has to be enriching. It doesn't have to be fun all the time. It doesn't have to be fun, 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 like honeymoon period all the time, but it has to enrich your life. There will be ups and there will be downs. That's normal. It, sh- it doesn't have to be this perfect thing. That's also normal. But it should enrich your life. You should be able to look at your relationship and say, overall, I am better because I am involved in this very fruitful relationship and it's mutually beneficial for both people involved. Okay? That's what a relationship should feel like. If you feel like, oh, I feel guilty, I feel bad, the family, this, we have a dog, it's hard. Not good enough reason to be in a relationship. If it doesn't enrich your life, it is not worth it. Now, one of my last points. Do not stay with somebody because you feel bad for them. This is going to be a bit of a, you might not want to hear this, but you are being unfair to him by staying with him if you don't want to be with him. He deserves to be with somebody that adores him as much as he loves you. And if you are not that person for him, And if you know that deep down, then every single day that you stay with him out of guilt is unfair to him. It is a waste of his time, even though he would not look at it that way because he loves you right now. But you are stringing him along, essentially, because you feel bad. Also, you don't know how much this could positively impact his life. He will suffer in the short term for sure. That is a given. But you could be doing him the biggest favor ever in the long term. Every cunt that's dumped me did the best thing that they could have done for me because it pushed me to do better things, to experience things. You might dump him and he might be like fucking shattered, but through that pain being like, I need a shake up, I want to do. And he might go off and have his own life adventure. He might find someone who not isn't better than you, but is a better match for him and be like, thank God she left me. He might take a year to get to that point. He might take a few months. It doesn't matter. The point is that. If you don't love him the way he loves you, it's selfish to stay with him out of guilt. It's selfish to think that he would crumble without you in his life. And that should take a bit of a weight off your shoulders, hopefully, to think, 
I've got to remove myself from thinking I'm the be all end all in his life. Just because he adores me, he will not only survive without me, but likely thrive because pain builds resilience and resilience builds character and he might become a better version of himself because of this. So don't shy away from breaking someone's heart. If you don't love them, then you're doing, you're, you're causing more damage than a breakup would. Okay. Because I would much, much rather be heartbroken than have someone be with me out of pity. Any day of the week, I would, oh my God, I'd rather eat vomit than have someone stay with me out of pity. That's just mortifying, mortifying. So do not do that to him. And lastly, you asked, how do I break up with him? I think it's very dependent on the relationship that you have and the communication styles you have. But what I would say is if you know that this is about you, don't try and – when you know you want to exit, you have to make it about what you want because a lot of people want to exit a relationship, but they'll turn around and say, you know, you always fight with me and you always do – they'll try and make it like the partner's fault so they've got an easy exit. But when you do that, A, you're not being honest. B, you're you're giving them – Hope that maybe if they were to fix their behavior, then you would actually want to be with them when it's not the case, because whether they were perfect or not, you're just not in love with them. You have to talk about the truths. And it's so hard to do. I know it's not easy. But when you talk about the truths, when you, you, when you just lay down exactly how it is, then there's less chance that they, like, don't give them hope. Do not give them hope. You've got to say, I am not, at where we are now in our relationship, I'm not where I know I should be. And that's not fair on you. It's definitely not fair on me. I'm wasting both of our times, whether you see it or not. And I know what I want in my life. I know exactly what I want. And it's not this. And I never wanted to hurt you or or string you along or anything. But if I were to stay with you, I would be stringing you along. And you have to process that however you want to process it. And I will respect how you want to process that. But we need to look at how we're going to proceed with everything knowing that I can't continue in this relationship anymore. Something along those lines, okay? But you have to rip the fucking Band-Aid off. Don't, oh, maybe if we did a break, none of that shit. You rip the Band-Aid off, you be honest. He deserves, at the very least, honesty. And so do you. I really hope that that helped you. And if you do go off and do this thing and go and, like, live overseas and have that whole adventure, can you please write to me and tell me how that's going and what that's like and what you've learned and I'd love to actually hear an update from you. Um, I was just about to say your name, lol, it's anonymous, but I'd love to hear an update um, on how things are going. And if you've decided to stay in the relationship because you've had a newfound wave of love, I'd also love to hear how that's working as well. But that is the end of the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, the listener question, the brain fact. Um, I love you guys so much. You're beautiful angels. Beautiful angels. As always, remember, be kind to yourself. Be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.